Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Well, uh, we're going to get into uh, the Word today, and we have a brand new series that we're starting. I'm excited to jump into it. I've been looking forward to this for weeks. Uh, we are going to be studying, for the next couple of weeks, the book of Galatians. And the book of Galatians is a, a relatively short letter that the Apostle Paul writes to a new church, a relatively new church, just a couple of years old. Uh, and this is a really important, it's a significant book in the New Testament. Not just important in terms of its biblical context, but uh, this book has been massively important throughout the course of church history. Uh, For those of you who are students of church history, you know that the book of Galatians has played a major role in the formation of church as we know it today. Perhaps most significantly with a guy by the name of Martin Luther, uh, the German reformer, not the King Jr. Uh, But uh, Martin Luther was the guy that nailed his 95 theses to the door of All Saints Church in 1512. And much of what was encapsulated in those papers was was uh, his findings and his readings from the book of Galatians. He had a bit of a love affair with this book and the thought that we are not saved by some, our own good works or some actions that we bring to the table, but ultimately we are saved by grace through faith. And that was his big message that he was preaching to the church in those days. And love affair might seem like a, a weird phrase to use for a book, but I think it's an accurate one when it comes to Martin Luther because he actually said that he nicknamed the book of Galatians Catherine. And the reason he nicknamed it Catherine was because Catherine was his wife's name. And he said, I am married to this book. He loved it that much. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my Bible. I love my, I love my Bible. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Thank you, Joel Osteen. But there is not a single book in my Bible that I have nicknamed Robin. All right. (laughs) It has not happened yet. Maybe the song of Solomon. Hallelujah. Okay. No. Bible humor. Hallelujah. Okay. (laughs) But Galatians is is proven throughout history to be an incredibly important book because there's something about the book of Galatians that serves to remind and reaffirm the true gospel, the gospel of grace, the gospel that says you are not here because you did anything to deserve to be a part of God's family. He loved us so much that simply by placing our faith in him, because of his grace, we can be saved the simplicity of the gospel. And that gospel, as we're gonna see in the next couple of weeks, is one that is very easy to stray from. Yes, even in our modern 21st century Christianity. Uh, We are gonna call this series for the next couple of weeks, Bewitched. Hallelujah, there it is. Bewitched, good news gone bad. I considered calling it Bewitched, good news that got ruined, but we know how much I mess up that word. So we went with good news gone bad. Uh, And that is not just a provocative title. It is, in fact, a phrase that you will find in this book. Um, In fact, it'll serve as our key scripture for the next few weeks. But Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, read like this. Uh, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course you didn't. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it wasn't in vain, was it? As you can tell, the Apostle Paul is a little frustrated as he begins to speak to this Galatian church. You can sense it in in his communication. 
Uh, he seems a little bit angry. He's, he's using a lot of sarcasm in this letter. Uh, he calls them fools twice. Not a great way to, you know, write to your friend. There's no emojis, nothing in here to lighten the blow. It's just, it's just aggressive. He's going right for it. And I think we get to see a little bit about why he's so frustrated in one of those last sentences there. He says, after starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? In other words, you started this thing out right. You started out putting all of your faith in your trust in God. You, you trusted that his grace was sufficient for you. But then somewhere along the line, you begin to go back to your old broken way of thinking where it was all about your actions and your ability to follow the rules. And you are now trying to make yourself perfect with your own human effort rather than trusting in the sufficiency of God's grace. For historical context, here's how it all happened. What happened was the Galatians were made up of a group of Jewish believers and non-Jewish believers. Pardon the long introduction here, but I wanna make sure that we have a good framework as we get into this. Um, the, the uh, Jewish believers and non-Jewish believers. And the Jewish believers still operated under the old covenant of the law. They thought that whether it was animal sacrifice or following this litany of man-made rules or circumcision, there's a fun word in church, all of it was a part of honoring God and being accepted by God. But Paul comes and he says, hey, listen, let's look at the scriptures and let's see what Jesus did. And ultimately, all of God's wrath, all of the obedience that was necessary was fulfilled in Jesus. And now all we need as these New Testament believers in this new covenant is to put our faith and trust in Christ and, and the finished work of the cross. And, and, and that's it. Once we do that, we are saved. And it was kind of this epiphany and the church went, okay, we get it. So Paul's like, good, I'm gonna leave now and you guys are in good hands and he takes off. But then after he left, some of the Jewish believers made their way back into the congregation and they began to sway the hearts and minds of the church and say, hey, Paul didn't really know what he was talking about. The guy's a little bit crazy. You actually do need to follow all of these rules. And so you had all of these new believers, these non-Jewish believers that were trying to fulfill the Mosaic Jewish law. And Paul gets word of it after he's left and he's, he's angry, he's frustrated. You can see it in, in, in his language here and he's, he's trying to once again correct their thinking and remind them that it is grace and grace alone that has saved them. Now, that's a long history lesson, but you might ask, why do we need to know that? Obviously this letter was written to them and it wasn't written to us. Well, if history has proven anything, it's that it often repeats itself. <laughs> And although this was a Galatian church problem where they turned their back on the good news and they began to fall back into obeying the law, that problem has perpetuated many times throughout church history. In fact, without pointing any fingers or looking anybody in the face, I know some of y'all come from some dead religious backgrounds. You come from some church backgrounds where it is all about a list of rules that you need to follow. And, and you need to talk this way, you need to act this way, you need to live this way. And, and if you don't, then Jesus is not interested in you and neither are we. And so it is good for us to constantly come back to the purity of the gospel and say, okay, have we truly placed our faith in the finished work of the cross and the grace of Jesus Christ? Or have we, like the Galatians, found ourselves bewitched? And so that's our aim for the next couple of weeks. We wanna make sure that our foundation is built on the true gospel. So after that lengthy introduction, we're gonna jump into the first portion of his letter in Galatians chapter one. Uh, let me pray and I'll give you a title and then we will get into it. I wanna call this chat today, Counterfeit Christianity. Counterfeit Christianity. Uh, let me pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it has the power to transform us today. And thank you that you captured the, the mistakes of the church in history past. And you showed us how easy it was for the church to slip away from your grace. 
I pray today and for the coming weeks as we look at this gospel that we would be reminded of the the, the sufficiency of your sacrifice on the cross. That unlike the Galatians, we would not try to do this in our own strength. We wouldn't try to perfect ourselves by our own human effort, but that we would trust that you have already completed all that needs to be completed and we would place our faith in you and you alone. We love you and we thank you in advance for what you're gonna do in this series. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. All right, Galatians chapter one, verse six. Actually, pause real quick before we go there. Um, Paul When he gets into this letter, he does not enter into it like the rest of the letters he's written. Most of the letters, in fact, if you this fun little homework assignment, if you go into your Bible and you read through the book of Romans or the beginning of Thessalonians or Philippians or Colossians, you'll see that that Paul generally has these really long-winded, very affirming introductions to his letter. He begins to share like, I think about you constantly and you're always in my prayers and not a day goes by that you're not on my mind. It sounds like a letter that, you know, some Christian mingle guy after the first date would write to the girl, right? Like very flowery and really long-winded and very poetic. That's not how he introduces this letter. At the beginning of this letter, he's like, yo, we need to talk, all right? I'm an apostle. I'm gonna talk to you like an apostle. I'm reminding you that this is who I am and you better buckle up, buttercup, because it's gonna get a little heavy for the next couple of sentences. And he goes right for the jugular with this letter. I think it's important we understand that as we step in. So here's how he starts out in verse six after that really friendly introduction. He says, I am shocked that you are so quickly turning away from God who called you to live in the grace of Christ and you are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, I love that word, It's the kinder version of apparently, evidently, like you have to snap when you say, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and they are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. What aggressive language. They are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. I'm shocked that you are so quickly turning from the true gospel to a different gospel that is no gospel at all. I am shocked that you are embracing a counterfeit for the sake of our sermon title. Uh, It has been said, that you cannot teach an old dog new tricks. Have you heard this phrase before? Yes. Uh, It's not really about dogs, although maybe it could be, but it's a phrase that insinuates it's really difficult for humans to change their ways. When you've been doing something for a really long period of time, a certain way, it becomes difficult to change the way you're you're used to doing that thing. Uh, Even if you know that the new thing is better for you, Generally, we begin to regress or revert back to our old way of thinking and our old way of doing things. It is our human nature. For example, uh, diets. How many of you have ever tried a, a diet and failed miserably before? Come on, you can be honest. You can be honest. It's just me, you, and Jesus here in church. Okay, yeah. <laughs> a couple of hands like this. Yeah. I, 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 I'm with you. I've failed a number of diets. When you've eaten a certain way for a certain period of time, it becomes really difficult to completely change the way you eat all of a sudden, cold turkey. Uh, My wife and I have failed, I don't even know how many diets, countless diets. We've tried them all. And it usually starts out the exact same way. No no matter what the new diet is, we're easily swayed. Whether it's a conversation with somebody who looks great and they're like, what are you doing? And then they begin to tell us about their new diet or we watch some documentary that somebody refers us to on Instagram or excuse me, on Netflix or Hulu or something. And all of a sudden we're like, oh my gosh, how have I survived this long? I am a horrible person. I had no idea how to eat. And like, I'm having an epiphany all of a sudden. I need to embrace this new diet. And so we've done the keto and the paleo and the vegan and uh, most recently the uh, intermittent fasting. Thank you, Jason Joe, if you're watching right now. Uh, What was the most, uh, or no, sugar-free. We've done them all. We've tried all of these different diets. 
And usually we can make it about seven to 10 days. At the beginning, we're inspired. We empty out our cabinets. We empty out our refrigerator. We go to the store. We buy all new food. And like for the first seven to 10 days, we're like, yes, we got this. Look, we're going to look like an Adonis when this is all over. It's going to be great. And then roughly day eight, nine, 10, somewhere in that region, we have a revelation. We go, you know what? I actually really do like carbs. I enjoy cookies. I like cake. I'm a grown person. I should be able to eat snacks at 9 p.m. while I watch Netflix. I'm an adult. I can manage myself. I actually enjoy being happy. So I'm going to eat whatever I want to eat because this is ridiculous. Who am I trying to impress? Like, I look okay for my age. Like, this is, this is our logic. This is, we, have the, we just had this conversation a couple of days ago. My wife's like, I'm not unhappy about what I see in the mirror. Why am I so concerned about not eating certain things? Like, you like the way I look. I like the way I look. Like, let's just go back to the way things were. And we immediately begin to revert back. Come on, is, it, is this preaching to anybody right now? Okay, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Like, I'm doing just fine. We've been married for 17 years, and you're happy with this? Who cares, right? Let's move on. Even when we know that this new diet is probably better for us, better for our heart, better for our health, somehow we seem to always revert back to the old. There is something in human nature that, that finds it very difficult to embrace something new. And in our comfort, we end up reverting back to the old thing over and over and over again. And ultimately, that is the source of Paul's frustration. And you can sense it when you read this sixth verse of the first chapter. He is frustrated that people are reverting back to their old way of thinking. He says, I am shocked that you quit the diet so soon. You saw the benefits. You saw how good it was for you. You experienced the joy. You experienced the freedom of the gospel. Why are you trying to go back to the way that things were? He, he seems baffled, mind-boggled that they would even consider going back to their old way of thinking. And in his shocked state, he makes a statement that I want to spend a good chunk of time on this morning because if it's true, it has massive implications for any of us who find ourselves in a similar situation to the Galatians. Here's what he says in the first verse of our key text today. He says, I'm shocked that you are turning away from God who called you to live in the grace and you are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. I'm shocked that you are turning away from God and to a different gospel. Did you hear that? Away from God and to a different gospel. See, that is a peculiar choice of words to me because it, by nature of turning to something, it would be assumed that I'm turning away from something else. If I'm turning to a new gospel, then it would be assumed that I'm turning away from a different gospel. But Paul suggests this is not just you turning away from a belief system. This is bigger than turning away from just a belief system. He says you're not turning away from something. You're actually turning away from someone. When you have abandoned the true gospel of grace through Jesus Christ, you're actually abandoning God himself. That is a massive statement. In fact, if you're taking notes, write this down. To reject grace is to reject God. Let that sit on our hearts for just a moment. That is what Paul is saying right here. To reject grace is to actually reject God. It's not to reject a belief system that some group of churches have bought into. 
It's not to reject a denominational approach or a theological stance. To reject grace is to reject the very person of Jesus. And what is this grace that, that Paul is speaking of? Well, by definition, in the Greek, it's the word charis. And it means the merciful kindness of God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turning them to Christ, keeping, strengthening, increasing them in Christian faith, and kindling them to exercise Christian virtues. There is a mouthful of a definition for you. So because I love you, I condensed it down to a smaller one, all right? Get your pens ready. Grace is what called you to Jesus, what saved you through Jesus, and what sustains you in Jesus. Come on, grace is what called you to Jesus, what saved you through Jesus, and what sustains you in Jesus. Yeah, I'll take that woo right there. Come on, you can't make a statement like that without getting a little bit Pentecostal on a Sunday morning, all right? Will you permit me about three minutes of just ranting and preaching for just a few? Come on, grace is what called you, grace is what saved you, and grace is ultimately what sustains you. Let me remind every single person who has called upon the name of Jesus today that it was grace that called you. It was not you calling unto God. It was not you seeking after God. It was his grace that was chasing you down. The Bible says in Romans chapter five, verse eight, that when you wanted nothing to do with God, when you were not interested in him in any way, shape, or form, that he still came and he still gave his life while we were still sinners. It had nothing to do with our performance. It had nothing to do with us chasing him down, but there was no mountain he wouldn't climb up. Come on, there was no shadow he wouldn't light up in chasing after every single one of us. And it wasn't because he wanted to hire you and bring you onto the team like you had some kind of special skill set that he needed in his kingdom. It was simply because he loved you. He loved you and so he called you. And at the moment that you heeded that call, he then began to save you by his grace. He called you by grace and he saved you by his grace. He didn't look at your past or your pedigree or anything that you'd done before or anything you would do after. He said, I am simply saving you because you are putting your faith in what I have done on your behalf. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. Come on, you didn't do anything. I know you think you're great, but you're not that great. Your righteousness is like filthy rags to God. But to him, he saw the redeemed version of you and he was willing to go to the cross and scorn his shame so that he could save your soul. Oh, come on, we're still preaching here. Hallelujah. Where's the Tylenol? Come on, this is the... Christmas vacation. You were saved by grace. And it didn't end at the calling. It didn't cease at salvation. It is still his grace that sustains you every single day that you have breath inside your lungs. As that definition suggests, it is grace that empowers you to fulfill the will of God, to live according to Christian virtues. It is the, the, the divine enablement of the grace of God that allows you to say no to temptation and yes to what God is asking you. It is grace that allows you to speak a kind word to a stranger. It is grace that allows you to overcome evil with good. It is grace that compels you to do the work of Christ here on this planet until his kingdom actually touches San Francisco. But even when you blow it and you fall flat on your face and you fail, it is still his grace that comes to you and says, you can get back up again. Come on, though the righteous fall, they will get back up and you will not stay down. So my grace will pick you up out of a pit. It will dust you off. It will remove shame. It will set you free and it will enable you to walk in my direction once again. Whoo, hallelujah. I need a hanky. 
that's grace. That is the gospel of grace. It didn't just call you, it saved you. And it didn't just save you, it continues to sustain you every single day. It's all about his grace. And that's the gospel that Paul preached to these Galatians. It's the gospel that they embraced at the beginning. But it was the same gospel that they turned from. It was the good news that ultimately went bad for them. And here's how it happened. By definition in the Greek, the word gospel, it actually does mean good news. That, that is what it is. Good news is only good news if there's first bad news. And there was some bad news. That it was all about human effort. It was all about following the rules and staying in line. But then this new good news comes to the people of Galatia. And they embrace it. But then, when Paul departs, they revert back to this old mindset and they begin to try in their own effort, avoiding the grace to please God in their own strength. And in so doing, Paul says something happens, that they trade in the true gospel for a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. They trade in the good news for something that isn't good news, for something that is a counterfeit. It's fake. They think it's real, but it holds no value. Uh, let, let me ask, is there anybody here today that has uh, cash? Does anybody still carry cash on them? Uh, Oscar, can I borrow you? Come on up on stage real quick. Give it up for Oscar. Uh, how, how much cash you got on you right now? He's single, by the way, so how he answers this question is going to be really important, all right? Oh, he's got hundreds in there. Let's go. Girl, hey. I don't know, five, nine, six, seven, okay. <laughs> come here, come here, come here. Okay, so why don't you take out one of those $100 bills? Um, I have uh, a bunch of money here, but it's all fake. I have a, a lot of counterfeit money. It's actually amazing how easy it was to come across counterfeit money. You can order counterfeit money on Amazon, so just don't get any ideas, but... Uh, this is a, and it looks, this looks pretty real, does it not? This is a counterfeit $100 bill. So, Oscar, you have the real thing. I have the counterfeit. Um, I would like you to trade your real bill for this counterfeit bill, all right? All right? Okay. I like this analogy already. Let's trade, let's trade. Thank you so much. All right, you can take your, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. So, so now... I have the real thing, he has the counterfeit. Now, if he stuffed that into his wallet and he began to thumb through it, it actually looks a lot like the other bills. It looks like the real ones. Uh, in fact, he might convince himself for a period of time that he had, what was it, $500 in your wallet? Yeah, yeah so he, he, he might, <laughs> he's gonna get jumped after church now, I like it. <laughs> He might convince himself that he still has $500 in his wallet as he's looking through there. But there will be a moment where if he attempts to use this bill, it will be revealed for what it truly is. So, so let's pretend you wanted to go to Disneyland. I think it's $104 and let's say you had a coupon. So you go to Disneyland and there's no coupons for Disneyland, is there? No, never. Uh, but let's say you go to Disneyland 
And uh, you, you walk up to the teller at Disneyland and, and you say, I'd like a ticket. And I say, okay. And uh, I, I grab this, this $100 bill from you to grant you admission beyond the gates of Disneyland. And I look at the bill and I go, huh, that doesn't, there's some Chinese writing on there. I'm not used to that being on our $100 bill. But so, I, so I take one of, these little, uh, one of these little pens and I begin to draw. And in so doing, it's revealed. You see that? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. This is a completely fake bill because there's, there's brown pen all over it. It didn't, it didn't work. And so I say, you know, you know what, sir? I'm, I'm really sorry. Um, the, the, the fee you needed to pay for entry is illegitimate. This is a counterfeit. Uh, and because you're carrying a counterfeit, unfortunately, you're, you don't have access to where you truly want to go. And so, so I'm, I'm going to give this back to you because I have no use for it, and, and you, can, you can be on your way. Come on, give it up for Oscar. Thank you so much. <laughs> the pastor's got to get paid somehow. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm going to get your tithe one way or the other, son. All right. Because he was carrying a counterfeit, he was denied access. Because he was holding on to something fake, he never made it beyond the gate. To me, one of the scariest scriptures in the Bible is Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many people are going to say to me on that day, Lord, I thought we had it right. I thought what I was doing and what I believed in was what you truly wanted. Don't you see all these great things I did for you, Lord? I, I, I served, I came to church, I fed the poor, I, I, I had this, the TFH sticker on the back of my minivan, like I did the stuff. And Jesus is going to look at people and say, I'm sorry, what you were carrying was actually a counterfeit. It wasn't the real thing. And so the gates that you want access to are unfortunately unavailable to you because what you had was illegitimate. Listen to me, this is bigger than a belief system. This is bigger than a theology or some ideology or where some churches stand and others do not. Our eternity literally depends on getting this one right. To reject grace is to reject God himself. And so, as we conclude here in our last couple of moments together, I wanna to pose a question to you, a question that I think we would be wise to wrestle with this morning and for the next couple of weeks as well as we're in this series. And here it is, ready? Is my gospel the gospel? Is the gospel that I've bought into the one that scripture speaks of? Or am I carrying some version of a counterfeit gospel? And to help you answer that question, I wanna to conclude today by offering three sentences. And all three of these sentences have a little bit of a fill in the blank. And I think the way that we fill in that blank will be kinda of like this pen. And it will reveal whether or not we truly are carrying something legitimate or if we have a counterfeit version of the gospel in our possession. So 
Let me encourage you to think long and hard about these three sentences. First one, God is more pleased with me when I fill in the blank. God is more pleased with me when I what? Maybe it's overcome temptation, when I do the right thing, when I stop doing the thing I'm doing right now, when I fail less, when I live a perfect life, when I read more and pray more and attend church more, all of those things are great. But to say that God is more pleased with you when we do certain things sounds hauntingly similar to the very gospel that Paul was trying to dispel there in Galatia. As if our efforts and our obedience and everything we bring to the table somehow makes God more happy with who we are. Listen to me, his pleasure is not predicated on your performance. His pleasure is the exact same with you today, whether you are on the top of a mountain or in the bottom of a valley. Whether you blew it before you walk into these doors or you've been living for Jesus for the last 10 days, sin-free, which probably isn't true anyway. <laughs> his pleasure does not waver. Prove it to me with scripture, Biddle. All right, I will. Hebrews chapter 10, you did not delight in sacrifices. My offerings bring you no pleasure. Psalm 51, if you wanted a sacrifice, I would bring it to you. But my sacrifices and my offerings brought no pleasure to the Lord. He isn't looking for something from us. The only thing he wants is you. The only thing Jesus is interested in is you regardless of the state that you are in right now, broken or healed, condemned or feeling confident, whatever state you find yourself in, if you will simply lay your hand, or your, your life in the hands of the master, he will accept you and he is pleased with you exactly as you come to him. There is not a single thing that we can fit inside that blank that will change God's pleasure towards us. It remains the same. However, lest we live marginal Christian lives and lukewarm lives, or we just continue to do whatever we wanna do because we know God's pleased with us, here's the second sentence. God's grace compels me to fill in the blank. God's grace compels me to, to what? Some would fill that blank in with, continue to live however I want. Because there's grace. For some, God's grace doesn't change the way that they live their lives in any way, shape, or form. It is some magic carpet that we can sweep all of our ungodly behavior under and continue to live however we want to live without concern because ultimately, well, there's grace for it. But Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, shall we continue to sin so that God's grace can abound all the more? Absolutely not. You have already been put to death. That old version of you has already been put to death, and you are a new creation. 2 Corinthians says that all of us who have put our lives in Christ's hands, we are a new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new again. 
Grace is not a license to continue to live in sinful behavior. Grace is the enablement for us to actually live liberated, free lives in Christ now, where we don't have to go back to the way that things once were. Grace actually enables us to love, to serve, to give, to forgive, to do what Christ compels us to do. That is the power of his grace. So that's the only way we should fill in that blank. God's grace compels me to love more, to forgive those that have hurt me, to overcome evil with good, to live according to the word of God, to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is what grace compels me to do. The appropriate response to grace is to surrender more of myself to him. But we fall, we fail, as suggested earlier. So the last sentence, when I fail, God is what? When I fail, God is what? I got that one wrong for a long time. I filled in that blank with a lot of words that probably didn't belong. I remember sitting in a sermon years ago and the pastor on the stage said, I want you to imagine that you just committed the worst sin of your life. You fill in the blank on what that is. And right after you commit that sin, I want you to imagine that you are whisked into heaven and you are standing right there before the face of Jesus. Now close your eyes, what is the look on his face? And I remember closing my eyes and there was a lot of faces I saw. Frustration, anger, disappointment, unforgiveness. There's a lot of faces that I saw on Jesus that he was not wearing. And I wonder if that's how many would fill in that blank. When I fail, God is disappointed. When I fail, God is angry. When I fail, God is frustrated with me. And maybe that thought process has only been perpetuated by the broken people in your life who have made you feel that God is exactly the same way that they are. Whether it's the broken pastor or the broken family members that have pointed the finger and told you how disappointed they are, how frustrated they are, how angry they are that you have failed. But listen to me, that is not the gospel. That is not the good news. That's not good news at all. That's expected news. If I fail and someone's angry at me or someone's frustrated or someone's disappointed, that is what I expect. That's not good news. But the good news of the gospel is that when I fail, God is running to me. God is forgiving. God is merciful. God is able. God is chasing me down. God is still good even when I am not good. And he will continue to extend grace to me regardless of what I've done. That is the true nature of the gospel. Paul says his grace is actually made perfect when you blow it. So when you blow it and you face plant, guess what? It is an opportunity for God to reveal the perfection of his grace and how sufficient it truly is. When I fail, God is what? I think the way we fill in those three blanks will ultimately reveal the kind of gospel that we've bought into. And my prayer today is that we would not be a people that are bewitched, that have allowed the good news to go bad, but that we would be those who have built our lives on the foundation of the true gospel, the good news that we are saved by his grace through faith and faith alone. Amen? I'm gonna invite the band to come as we conclude. And as I do that, I wanna pray for a specific group of people. In fact, why don't all you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And I wanna walk us through 
those three areas of grace that I spoke of earlier. The grace that calls, the grace that saves, and the grace that sustains. Maybe some of us are here today and we are in that first category. Grace is calling unto us. Maybe you have yet to make a decision to follow Jesus. And this whole church thing is new to you and the gospel's new to you and you're, you're still trying to feel it out or figure it out. To you, I would say, just continue to listen. Allow his grace to continue to call unto you. And there'll be a moment where the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your heart and says, are you ready to say yes? Because I'm ready to save you if you're ready to say yes. Just let him continue to call. On the flip side, there are those of us that maybe here here today and need to experience the sustaining power of God's grace. Maybe you aren't experiencing victory in an area of your life where you continue to fall into temptation. Maybe you have face planted and you feel yourself at a distance from God. Today, I pray that you would experience the sustaining power of his grace. The same grace that picked you up in the beginning and saved you on day one is the grace that is here and available to you today. But, but then there's this group here in the middle, the group that hears God calling and they sense that he desires relationship with them. So they want to step into the saving grace of God. Again, I said it earlier, I'll say it again, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. You do not have to do anything to receive this other than to believe. And that's the group I wanna pray for before we conclude. If you're here today and you're far from Jesus and you need that saving grace, you know you need to get things right with him before we conclude, I wanna pray a simple prayer with you. Before I do that, I just, I love to see who I'm praying with. No one's looking around it's between you and Jesus, but I just I wanna know who I'm agreeing with today. If that's you, would you quickly slip up a hand and look at me so that I know that we're praying together this morning? Thank you, I got you. Got you right there, awesome. Yeah, right there, bro. Thank you. Hallelujah, anybody else? Okay. You don't have to repeat this out loud. I'm just gonna pray. You can say it under your breath there. But just repeat after me in your heart. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you that you've given yours for mine. I put my, my trust, my faith today in the finished work of your cross. You died the death that I deserved so that I could have a life that I didn't deserve. And I entrust everything I am to you today. Help me to be your disciple, to walk in your ways, to continue to live in your grace from this day forward until the moment I see you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, can we just thank God for those three or four people that lifted their hand this morning? Oh, come on, you can do better than that today. Best decision of their lives. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.